in the book of Ephesians. And uh, as we get ready to dive in today, I just want to let you know that uh, we're going to take a break from Ephesians next week, and John Covell will be teaching. So be praying for him this week as he prepares. And uh, I want to say thank you to him in advance. I won't be here next week, but I want to say thank you to him. So we know Ephesians is, a we call it a book of the Bible. It's a, it was actually originally a letter written to this group in Ephesus. And what I want to do is just go through and do a little bit of a review and then dive into some new stuff. So we're today, Lord willing, we will be done with chapter one and move into chapter two. So I told myself, we're going to move a lot quicker through this. And we're moving a little quicker, but definitely not a lot quicker, not as quick as I planned. So verses 1 and 2 was Paul's introduction. Verses 3 through 14, if you remember, uh, Paul said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he was basically proclaiming all this uh, goodness of God because of all the spiritual blessings that we've been given. That we've been given, it says, every spiritual blessing. So Paul's praising God. And then in the verses we've looked at the past two weeks, and we'll look at again today, Paul is giving a prayer for the Ephesians, and he lets them know what he's praying for them. So just by way of a, a review, a reminder, he said he had heard of some things. He heard of their faith and their love for all the saints. So I just want to give a reminder that we have spiritual reputations. People are hearing spiritual things about you or would have a spiritual judgment to make about you and this these are the kind of things we would want people to be saying or telling others about us and about our church man they are a group that has faith in god and they love each other wouldn't that be an awesome testimony and i think by the way as, as we acknowledge the way we pray for each other is demonstrating that and so we want to continue to do that he says, so I do not cease, or I just continue to give you thanks, or give thanks for you, rather, making mention of you in my prayers. So he says, one of the things he prays for is he is continually thanking God. We need to be thanking God for each other. And uh, a couple other things he prays here. He says, I've been praying for you. And he says that, I don't even know what that was spirit of wisdom and revelation the eyes of your understanding being enlightened we'll talk a little bit more about this but so that they would have a spiritual awareness that they would know what's going on spiritually that their eyes would be open this is how we should pray for ourselves and pray for each other we pray for the physical healing we pray for marriages to be fixed we pray for uh, people to have peace or to get a new job or we pray for those things but we don't just pray for the physical world things that we can see or feel or touch. We pray for the spiritual things that are just as real, even more real, and even more lasting. And that our eyes can be aware of the spiritual things that are happening in the midst of all the physical things that are happening. And it's also interesting here. They're in a culture where there's just tons of paganism. I mean, they have temples to false gods and they have all these uh, books of witchcraft and all these different things that they ended up burning. Some of the Christians are burned. So they're living in this dark society. And Paul's prayer isn't that everything would get fixed. Paul's prayer that these Christians would have spiritual eyes, spiritual awareness. And so that they would have a knowledge of God, so that they would know God. Do you know God? 
How well do you know God? What aspects of God do you maybe need to know better or know different? Or maybe you have some thinking about God that's a little bit messed up or askew or wrong. You know God and you have an opinion that God's a big mean guy up there with a hammer ready to smash you for everything you do wrong. Maybe you need to, to learn that God is a God of love and compassion and mercy and understanding and forgiveness. So do you know God and how well? And so we need to pray for each other to know God properly. And then he says, he gives them two things. And I'm going to give my goofy, I, I'd like to think in terms of icons or like images, little simple images for myself, because it helps me remember a passage like this. So I'm going to give you my goofy pictures. And uh, that is, he wants them to know. We're going to talk about three things, but I'm going to give you the two that we already talked about. He wants them to know three things. We already talked about two. The first one is the hope of his calling. The picture I gave you was basically that you've been given a golden ticket. Lame analogy, but that you have been given by God an invitation, a summons, a summons to all of his goodness, that you've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so the one thing he wants them to know is, hey, you're now one of mine, and I've called you, I've invited you, I've summoned you, and we need to know that too, right? I'm not the world's, I'm not Satan's, uh, I'm not my own, I'm God's, and I've been given an engraved invitation, if you want, or a golden ticket. The second picture, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and that basically means to know how important you are to God, and I said, uh, last week, that you are one of God's trophies, that God views you as valuable. He views you as his accomplishment, something he cherishes and something he loves. And I don't know how you feel about that, but maybe, maybe you have no problem grasping that. And you're like, I know God loves me. I know I'm important. I know that I'm his prized possession. And don't we all want to be a prized possession? Y'all want to be, you know, a trophy to somebody, not in a weird sense, but you, you know what I'm saying. You want to be cherished. You want to be important, a prized possession. You are, if you're a believer, God has made you, accomplished in you, so that you can become his prized possession. Now, the next thing we're going to talk about is talking about his power. But as we do that, I'm going to pray one more time, and then we'll dive in. Father, I feel like this passage is so deep, so heavy, so thick uh, that we need your spiritual eyes and understanding to understand it. We need you to kind of pinpoint it for every single person. I feel like there is truth here, but I can't even pretend to know how to apply it to every single person in every single situation in this room, but you can do that. So I pray that you would open up your word through your Holy Spirit and that you would deliver just the message that every single person in here needs. We're trusting you to do that. We know you want to do that. You want to speak through your word. So we ask you to do it. We open our hearts up to it and say we will listen. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. All right, there's a ton here, like I said, and it's really thick. So we're going to have to go through some kind of just plotting through and getting the information. But before we do that, I just kind of want to, the topic is going to be on power. So what kind of things do we need strength or power for? Then we can have just a little conversation. We'll keep it short and sweet, but 
Any ideas of what you need power for? Parenting, decisions, struggles, rest. Sometimes power isn't that you're like some powerhouse. You just need power to endure something, maybe even to make it through. To hold back, power to restrain, right? That is a, a picture of meekness is power under control. We need it to, for our all our weaknesses, right? Good, good. Power is an important thing, isn't it? I mean, especially if you want to walk with God, if you want to overcome sin. Any, anybody in here ever deal with temptation? Raise your hand if you don't, because we want to identify the liars. Just kidding. Uh, yeah, we all deal with temptation, right? We need God's power, and that's the verse even talks about that. Uh, it talks about that we would have power to endure it or stand up underneath it. So just even endure temptation. We need power. Now, let me ask you, is having power or strength a good thing? Why or why not? Trick question I'll, right off the bat, I'll tell you. Is that a good thing or not? Good thing when properly used. Good. What else? Okay. Good, good. Maybe we don't want to be relying on our power. We would want to rely on God's power. Our power can get us into trouble. Big in trouble. Tell me about it. Especially if we think we're all big and powerful. Good. And then why might God give a person access to his power? To bless others. Good. Okay, save others, good. For his will to be done, good. That's almost verbatim the last part of the, the message is talks about that to carry out his mission, huh? We, we can't do it on our own power, but we can by his power. So today, if we had to kind of summarize the whole message, it would be that God's power is working for us, in us, and through us. And we'll talk about why that's important for us to remember and to know as we go through. And again, remember, this is what Paul wants them to know. Paul says, I'm praying for you. I'm not praying that you hit the lotto. I'm not praying that your diseases go away. I'm not praying that you could move away from that nasty Ephesus place. I'm praying that you would know some things about you and about God. And one thing is that you would know that God's power is working in you, that it is working for you, and that it will work through you. That's what he's going to talk to him about. So the verses here, and I'm going to do the to you part, and then we'll get to that, but I'm just going to kind of read through the verses. That you may know, again, one, the hope of his calling. Two, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, the trophy thing that you are a trophy of God's. And three, what is the exceeding greatness of his power Toward us who believe. Now, do you guys believe that God is powerful? I mean, just look at a storm. Look at what goes on in, uh, you know, plate tectonics or volcanoes or uh, planets moving around or tides or all these different things. I don't think any of us would doubt that God is powerful. But what he wants them to know is his power, his power toward us who believe on behalf of. And then actually, if you look at the old King James, it's us word is the word here. 
that God's power usward, God's power to you, for you. So many of us might think, oh yeah, God's powerful, of course. That's why I'm afraid to make him mad. I know he's powerful. But God's power was also, is working, and we'll talk more about details of this, for you. He wants us to know that. According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, we'll explain all this, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. So all of this power, and he gave Christ to be the head, which we'll talk about to the church again. So it's, this is us word to understand that it's God's power. It isn't just power separate from us, but it's made, been made available and is working on our behalf. And so the church isn't this building, right? We, we all understand that. The church isn't the building. We are the church. Right now, we are the church gathered. The other, whatever it is, 167 hours this week, we will still be the church. We will be scattered. We're gathered, we'll be scattered. But we are the church. And so he says here that this power he's talking about is for the church, for us people that make up the church. The church is the people of God. The fullness of him who fills all in and in all. Uh, don't, please don't be angry if this is too small for you to read. This is for me to read. It's, you can just listen along. Um, so there's a story in 2 Kings. I'm not going to give you the whole story right off the bat. So if you're like, what, how does it end? What happens? Read it. Okay? It's my way to get you to dive in a little deeper. I'm not going to tell you the ending. It's like a to be continued. So let me read this story because I think it, it gives a nice little visual of what we're talking about today. It says, now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. So you have two opposing groups, Israel, God's people, and Aram. And this king says, after conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. And the man of God, who's Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel. Beware of passing in that place because the Arameans are going, to, are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. So you have this enemy of God's people, king of Aram, and he's like, I'm going to get the Israelites. And he sets up a camp here, and, and then God warns Elisha like, to tell the king, don't go over there. Or avoid that. Or go around it. Or go. And then this king, it keeps happening. It keeps happening. He sets up a new plan. Okay, we're going to get him here. And he keep, this keeps happening. And he's like, why are we not able to trap these guys? Like, what is going on? And this is what he says. This enraged the king of Aram. He's getting so frustrated. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, which is probably what we would all first think. Tell us, tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? In other words, who's the spy? Who's leaking the info? Who keeps telling the king of Israel to go a different way? Who is it? He says, none of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. <laughs> in other words, it doesn't matter what kind of secrets you got. Elisha is a prophet of God, and he is able to deliver what even you're talking about in private quarters. So there's no secrets. Elisha keeps telling 
the king of Israel about this. He says, go find out where he is. So he's like, okay, well, let's get this guy, Elisha. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so that I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. So like the king of Aram's like, okay, we're going to go to Dothan, and we're going to get this Elisha guy. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. So Aram sends this big uh, army to go get, just to get Elisha. They went by night and surrounded the city. So you have this huge army surrounding the city. And we're going to get Elisha. And when the servant of the man of God, so Elisha's servant, got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. So Elisha's servant gets up. Maybe he's going to go get him some coffee. I don't know, whatever, whatever it is. And he looks out and he's like, oh, my goodness. Huge force of army chariots all surrounding us and so he says what should we do he goes back to elisha and says what should we do and this is what elisha says don't be afraid the prophet answered those who are with us are more than those who are with them now as far as you know there were no it didn't say israel sent some and he says then elisha prayed open his eyes lord so that he may see and the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. All of a sudden, his eyes were opened to the spiritual reality of the power that was there. Isn't that a cool picture? And that's what Paul is praying for these Ephesians. He's going, help these Ephesians in this dark, nasty place where there's all these evil forces and all this paganism and all this false God worship and all this idolatry and all this gross pagan worship that involves uh, sexual sin and all these weird things and incantations. Help them so that their spiritual eyes would be open, so that they would see, quote-unquote, chariots of fire on their side and that God's power is with them. So that's what we're talking about. That's what... Um, Paul is praying for them, for their eyes to be open. And so God makes his power available to his people. This is if you broke it down, the passage we're going to look at today. This is kind of what it would look like. We don't even need to go into the details of this. What we're going to talk about first is three descriptions of God's power. So he describes God's power. And then he's going to go, here's three demonstrations or three manifestations to prove or demonstrate or show God's power. So first of all, I'm going to describe it to you. And then I'm going to give you some examples of God's power working. Does that make sense? What, what uh, Paul's going to do here. So again, God's power is working in us, for us, and through us. We want to have our spiritual eyes open to that, right? <clears throat> so the next verse says this. What is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? If you read that, it feels very, very wordy. And you're like, so what exactly is he saying? It sounds kind of repetitive. And it is repetitive. Let's look at it a little bit more, kind of going into what some of these words mean. What is the exceeding? So what Paul's doing here is he's layering terms on to go like, this power, I'm going to describe it to you. It's major, major, major power. He says, what is the exceeding, which means to throw or go beyond. So it's like far beyond power. The exceeding greatness, that's the word for magnitude. So the exceeding, far beyond magnitude of his power. 
And the word power there is where we get our word dynamis. Uh, most of the, in the New Testament, when you see the word power, it's this word. It's where, again, we get our word dynamite from. And it means the ability. It's God's ability to do something. So he's going the far exceeding magnitude of God's ability toward us to believe, which is good news, right? It's not just separate from us. According to the working, and this is, uh, I'm not going to say it right, Energian in the Greek, and it's where we get our word. Anybody got an idea where we get our word, what energy from, right? And so it's this power isn't just power that's locked in a vault, or maybe even you, you pictured like power stored up in a battery. That's not what he's talking about. It's the actual, it's not the potential energy, but it's the active working. So we, yeah, God's got this power and it's tucked away somewhere in a cave in case one of these days God wants to use that power to help me. He's like, no, God's power is working even now. So his power is exceeding, exceeding magnitude. He has ability and it's actually functioning right now. It's working. And then he stacks a couple more big words on here, like kind of power words. Mighty, that has the idea of God having like his arm, his mighty arm is where that's used in some Old Testament scriptures, and his power. So if we had to put it in our English, it would be this. Help those people to know about God's super duper exceedingly abundant over the top actual working power that is happening right now that can have the ability to take care of everything that needs to be taken care of that's what he's wanting to see not like yeah god's powerful saw a big storm oh god's so powerful Ooh, lightning storm god's powerful it's beyond the lightning storm it's beyond the tidal waves it's beyond the tsunamis it's beyond planets being held i mean you think about that planets being held by gravity that's god's power doing that stuff I mean, I don't know if you've ever been trying to swim in the ocean at all, and you get knocked around by these little five-foot waves, and you feel like you've been just inside of a washing machine. I feel like that's nothing. And so he describes, he wants them to understand, and says, God, open their eyes to the greatness of your power that's actually working on their behalf. Let's think about this for a second. Do you know that God's power is at work? on you, in you, for you, right now. Just keeping us alive, that's God's power. Keeping us safe, and I, I want to say this this way, spiritually safe, so that Satan can't come steal us away from God. God's that powerful. No force, any other force can steal us away from God. That's working on your behalf right now. What kind of security guard would you want guarding your home? If bad guys were after you, the biggest, baddest, most powerful, toughest, strongest security guard you could get. You know what? God is spiritually looking after you. Nothing can get a hold of you that he doesn't want to get a hold of you. It all has to go through God first. So he's wanting them to see that, to understand that. And so he he's describes this power. And that's why it kind of seems like, why is he being so wordy? It's because he's kind of just like, Stacking on phrase after phrase after super duper incredible 
hyper mega power. And so he talks about three manifestations of his power, three demonstrations of it. One demonstration is he raised Christ from the dead. This power was working and working in Christ when it raised Christ from the dead. Is that some pretty strong power to raise Christ from the dead? And whose sins was Christ carrying on the cross, by the way? Ours, worlds, all of times. So if there's anybody that would be deader than dead and sunker than sunk in sin, it would be in Christ. He was carrying the whole world's sin, it says. To bring somebody from back from that kind of death is power, isn't it? We'll read about uh, something about that in a minute. And then another demonstration is he seated Christ at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every other name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. We'll explain that. So that's another demonstration. One, raising Christ from the dead. Two, seating him at the right hand. And three, to give him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So first of all, he raised Christ from the dead. I just want to read this. This is just a little bit in Acts. He's uh, uh, Peter's preaching to this group of Jews, and he's basically like, you guys are the ones who crucified Christ. You guys caused his death. You know, this Jesus that you saw work all these miracles, you guys caused his death. And then he says, this Jesus, whom God raised up, so God raised him, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. That's how big and powerful God's power is to raise from the dead and unshackle the handcuffs of death. And you think, well, we are going to die. How can that be true? You know what scripture says? 1 Corinthians 15 says death a saint's death, a believer's death, is swallowed up in victory. The bigger, bat, badder animal, if it's death or victory, is God's victory. It will win every time. It will swallow up death and spit it out. And so we, as Christians, God's power over death is working on our behalf to keep us spiritually, to give us spiritual life, to keep us spiritually preserved, so that we don't have to fear dying. In fact, many saints go to and through death joyfully because they'll know and trust the power of God to keep and preserve them and to give them ultimate victory. It's a graduation. It's a celebration. And we here on earth have a hard time with that. And I understand sadness around death. I, I completely do. But when we understand God's power to even bring victory about through death, we can begin to go, wow, we don't have to fear that. So why is that important? Let me just ask you, why is it important to know that God's power over death is working for us? Any ideas? It's kind of a tough, deep question. but So what he, Paul wants them to know this. He's praying for them. Why? Why does he want them to know that? Okay, good. Yeah. Anybody here ever get afraid of death? 
I feel like, yeah, you, you maybe get start getting sick or you're not afraid right now, but you almost get in a traffic accident. You start getting a little afraid, right? Or all of a sudden you start reading about the fact that, you know, they may, uh, you may not be able to get a hold of food anymore. And uh, all of a sudden you're like, what? We don't have to fear death, guys, because God's power is working on our behalf. Okay, so then it, here's the next thing it, it talks about is that it seated him at his right hand and placed all things under his feet. And it says, uh, well, let me just kind of go through these because there's some important things. Seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. That God seated Christ at his right hand. And what the, at the right hand means you have access to. It would be like you are, I don't want to say the delegate, because Christ is God, but he's seated at the right hand and he has that power of God. Does that make sense? So in other words, it would be like if, uh, if I appointed John, my right-hand man, and said, here's my credit card, here's all the things you have access to, here's all the abilities, you, you, I'm basically handing over these things to you, then he would be holding that power, that same power. And so it says that God was able to deliver Christ and to his right hand in the heavenly places, far above, he names some different things, principality and power and might and domain. And so the idea here is he's just naming different, some people think it's like different groupings of uh, angels or different groupings of demons, like as if we said a president demon, a governor demon, a mayor demon. And I don't think he's necessarily doing that. I think what he's saying is, over all of any rank, any, there is no evil power. There is none that is over him. And it began to think about what these people in Ephesians were doing. They were worshiping Diana, Artemis, and 50 other people that are pagan deities. They were worshiping them. And Paul's going to help them to know that they were saved, they were worshiping Artemis, they were doing these things, but now they've been saved out of that, and God's power is bigger than all of it. It doesn't matter which God they chose to worship. God's more powerful than that God. So it would be like us going, like, our God is more powerful than the president, than a prime minister, than the governor, than a czar, than a... He is more powerful than any other force, and all demons, and all legions of demons, and that's how powerful our God is. And then he adds, and every name is above every name that is named. Now, this is important because in that culture, part of their rituals would be calling upon the names of these demons or deities or false gods in the name of Artemis. Da, 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 and they would do spells and those kind of things. And what he wants them to know is, hey, whatever name you're going to call on, God's power is above any of those names that you might call on for power to carry out these things. And then he hits this other thing. Not, not only up and down, bigger than everything, every creature, every deity, every false god, every demon, bigger than that, but kind of like from the beginning to the end. Not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. So it's not like he's ever going to be outshined, outpowered. The idea here is he's bigger and badder 
than any and everything. And he put all things, everything under Christ's feet. So one, he showed his power by conquering death. Is that big power? Is this big power? Yeah. And he continues, he says, he appointed him as head over all the church. He gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all and in all. When he says that Christ is the head of the church, there's typically two ideas that come from this. One, that he is the ruler, the boss, the authority. And I believe it's both of these. And two, that he's the source. And in those ancient, the ancient ideas at this time was that the head was the source of strength, of power, of life that fed the rest of the body. And so the idea here is that Christ is the source of that power and that he is the authority of that power and that he, the head, fills or gives on behalf of the rest of the body. And we are the body of Christ. We're the church. So basically the head, who's the head here in the scripture? Christ is supplying the body. Who's the body in the scripture? Us with the power. So the picture here is, and he put him as the head to provide you guys with the power. The power for what? The church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and in all. Man, this is complicated, deep stuff. But the bottom line is what he's saying is the church receives all it needs from Christ and participates with him in accomplishing his purposes throughout the world or completely or till the end even. This is the way I kind of put it. God's power is available to us and working for us so that we can fully carry out God's mission. Now let's think about that for a minute. What does it feel like is more powerful? The United States government, the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, the Russians, Black Lives Matter, the Satanic Church? Which one of those things is going to hinder God's mission? Which one of those things is going to stop the church? None. Not one. Because God's power is working in the church to carry out God's plan for the church. And that means we've been given that. And we can look at the circumstances and the things around us and get all messed up and twisted and confused and shaken. But not when we know the power of God and in is that we described it as the awesome, incredible, overpowering, amazing, that's above every evil force and every government and every is working on our behalf so that we can carry out the plans of God. You know, God's working in you now. If you're a believer in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit, God, working in you, his power. And you're like, well, I don't really see it. How come I'm not preaching this incredible message? How come I keep stumbling? How come I keep sinning? I would say that God's power is even to keep convicting us. Do you guys deal with conviction ever? Not false guilt, none of that, but you feel the Holy Spirit going like, that was, that was a wrong thing to say. You shouldn't have said it, or you shouldn't have said it that way. That's God's power working in you, working for you so that he can work through you that's cool god's so personal that he has this magnificent incredible power and he's not using it just to crush us into powder but to move us along as his servants his workers 
It's good news. So why does any of this matter? Well, we live in a broken and evil world, don't we? It's not going to be that way forever, but it is that way right now. That's just the facts. If you want to say it's not, we can talk after. And sometimes when we're living in that broken, evil world, it's easy to forget that God's more powerful than any evil force. The evil forces seem bigger and better sometimes, huh? You wouldn't say that out loud, of course, but the fear, the anxiety, the worry, the concern, the doubts demonstrate that. So I think we need to know this because as we are living like those Ephesians in dark, evil world, we need to remember that God is bigger and badder than any darkness, any evil that exists. And that he's working even when we can't see it. The church is still alive and well, and nothing will kill the church. The church may go through all kinds of weird phases. And when I say that, I mean like the church worldwide. But he's going to use the church to accomplish his plan, and he is doing that in the world. It says the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. That's what it says in the gospel. The gates of hell aren't even going to prevail against us. Now, it doesn't mean we can just sit back and go like, oh, can't hurt us. But God's working. Another reason is we've been called to walk and live out our faith in this broken and evil world. So here we got sin pressing down on us, the world pressing on us. We have these internal desires that are against God and our own nasty flesh that wants to fight against God. Well, we need to remember that God's power is working for us, in us, and through us. And even something like conviction is God's power working in us so that we can live out. You ever feel like I don't have what it takes to live this life of God? As Rob was saying, like, we don't have it in our own power. I don't have it. I, I stink at trying to, I stink at walking out my faith when I'm trying to do it under my own power, my own ability. But if I lean on God and remember that he does have the power, I, I can gain strength there. So we ask and say, so what are we supposed to do? Good, great. Awesome. They got all this power. God's working. He's using his power. His power is available to us. What are we supposed to do? One, pray for ourselves and others to have our spiritual eyes open. Just like Elisha's servant had his eyes open. He's like, chariots of fire all around. What? So that we wouldn't have our eyes focused on the enemy, the evil, the darkness, but on our powerful God and remember him. That's what one of the things we could do, that he would open our eyes to that. And two, believe and act on what God said, rather than what we feel. We don't need to walk around like a bunch of whip dogs that are all beat up. And I understand we can get tired, we can get discouraged, all of those things, but we don't need to walk around like losers. We can walk around like victors and know that the battle has been won and that we have been given victory even over death. And so we can walk in that. I think it's interesting because Paul's praying for them to have their eyes open, their eyes open, their eyes open, right? And remember how he said, sit, walk, stand. The sit is kind of realize what God's given you. The walk is begin living it. And stand is stand up against evil forces. Well, here's what Paul prays for them at the end. 
or not praise, tells them at the end. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So he's helping them to understand you've got this incredible power of God working in you. Now stand in it as you face this evil, dark world that's going to be coming at you and stand in his might, his strength. And we just read what and saw what that is. We can stand in his strength, his might. So praise God for his power. Praise God that he has provided that for us. Praise God that it's working on our behalf. I want to encourage you, one, ask God to open your eyes to it. Two, buy into it, believe it. Even if you don't feel it, even if things look like a mess, believe that God is more powerful than the mess in your own heart, in your own life, bigger than the mess in your family, bigger than the mess in your community, bigger than the mess in the world. God's bigger and more powerful than that mess that he wants to bless and minister to you. Let's pray and we'll sing more time. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your son. We thank you that through him, this power has been made available to us and is working on our behalf. We are grateful. We want to learn how to walk in that, live in that, have our confidence and faith in you because of that. And uh, so I just pray that you would continue to open up our hearts, our minds to the power that's working on our behalf. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.